Good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow. I'm the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. What you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of God's Word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. the psalm of david it says bless the lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles the lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, slow to anger. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his command, covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Pray with me. God, we approach your word and we are thankful. We're thankful that you've given it to us. We're thankful that there is no mixture of error in it, but that it was God-breathed that you gave it to us by your own word and that we have it for our life and for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that that these would not be my words, that they would not be um, schemes or anything from me, but, God, that it would be your word to your people for your glory and our good. We thank you for everything this morning. Um, but, but we thank you for the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we approach Psalm 103, we approach a, uh, a passage that um, is one of those passages that just makes you stop and makes you reflect. And I think it's important for us as, as the church of God to have these moments in our lives where we take a step back and reflect. Because there are, there are passages of Scripture, and we've studied them where where we are going deep in there and we're and we're understanding and we're getting so many doctrines that are good and that are right and we're getting um this this just really good meat from the text 
And then there's other scriptures like the Psalms where we see David speaking to God or speaking to, as we'll see in this text himself, and he's just pausing. He's just stopping to reflect on that kind of doctrine. So this morning we, we approach this passage, and you may have read a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's by a guy named Donald Whitney. And Donald Whitney was one of my seminary professors, and when we studied uh, that book in his class, he gave me pause for this, this one spiritual discipline, and, and he called it silence and solitude, or you may call it meditation. And, and as I was thinking uh, about silence and solitude or meditation, the world often says, well, the best way to do that is to empty your mind or to, uh, to get to the state where you're not thinking about anything. But the Christian understanding of silence and solitude or meditation would be that we would fill our minds. We would fill our minds with the things of God. And it seems in Psalm 103 that that's exactly what David is doing. He's, he's taking a step back and he is filling his mind with the things of God and reflecting on who God is and what God has done. And, and David actually does this from Psalm 103, and then we, we go even further into the Psalms in Psalm 104, 105, and 106 of, of this reflection of who God has been to his people or how God has dealt with his people. Charles Spurgeon said about Psalm 103, there is too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself. And it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. Now, that being said, we have 30 minutes to look at it. And so let's dive in here to Psalm 103. What I want you to see this morning is that God is worthy of our worship. It's that simple. That God is worthy of our worship. And you'll see a word here, and you see it multiple times in this, in this passage, and it's the word bless. And bless is kind of a word that we don't necessarily use um, all the time unless we're saying, you know, bless her heart, bless his heart, whatever. So how do we define this word bless? Well, this word bless really means to adore but even more specifically, to adore on bended knee. It's, it's an idea of adoration that is, that is serious worship and humility. And so we bless or adore, we kneel, bow to the Lord for, in this passage, four reasons. And the first is this, because he is the giver of all good things. David takes some time to remind himself of who God is and what God has done. And I think this is interesting. All of Psalm 103, in all 22 verses, there is never an instance where David addresses God. And if you, if you know the Psalms, then you'll know that there are Psalms where, God, where, where David simply is addressing God in worship. But in this Psalm, it's, it's almost as if he's preparing for worship or as he has just worshiped. And he is reminding himself of the goodness of God. And so he speaks to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. You, soul, my innermost being, the, the, the deepest part of me, adore the Lord. He's the giver of all good things. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 
This is, this is an invitation to adore the Lord. Well, how do we adore Him? Well, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Why is all of us, every single portion of myself, why is that required to bless the Lord? Because, verse 2, all His benefits. Because He has forgiven all my iniquity. Because He has healed all my diseases. All of us blesses the Lord because of all that He has done. And let's notice the present tense blessings that He has given. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Verse 2, here's verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity. Forgiveness is the first one mentioned, that, that He has forgiven us of our sin. And there is, there is so much joy in just that single phrase. That, that we have been forgiven of a sin debt that we could not pay. That we have been made clean from, from dirt that we could not wash off. That we have been brought to life out of death that we could not get ourselves out of. That He has forgiven us. But not only that, we work together here with who forgives all your iniquity, but who heals all your diseases. In the context, it seems like he's talking about a metaphorical disease. Namely, the disease of sin, the sickness of our iniquity. That he has, he has healed us of our sickness and sin. Sarah and I recently moved to the area, and we moved into this building downtown, well, close to downtown Memphis. And um, there's some apartments there that St. Jude owns, and there are, there are families all the time with children who are suffering with cancer. And, and when you look out our window, you can kind of see St. Jude in the distance. And the other day, we were on the elevator with this family, and um, there was a mom and a child in a wheelchair. And, and, and I, I just paused to think, um, what, what grace of God that, that Danny Thomas was born, that St. Jude was created, that, that God has done great things through science and through medicine to, to heal children's bodies of cancer. I was just thinking about the grace of God in that, and then I was reminded of this verse that God heals all our diseases, that there is a sickness that's worse than cancer, that there's an eternal sickness called sin, and that that we had no power. There's no, there's no St. Jude to help us get better from our sin. There's no, there's no doctor who can, who can work us back to health from our sin. In reality, we have no power to do anything about our sin, and yet God has healed it in Jesus, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Who redeems your life from the pit. It's just this picture. I mean, David is giving us what this means, this this hole, right? And, And there's no way out. But somebody comes and gets you out. Not by any of your power, not by anything you did, not by anything that you accomplished, but simply 
just as a gift. He redeems our lives from the pit. That no one has, has gone too far into the pit to be redeemed. And this picture of redemption is a picture of, of rescuing, but also of protection. Almost like you've been pulled out of the pit, but there's no way for you to like get back down in there. It's beautiful that, that he has healed us. He has redeemed us. And then it says that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. It's not just enough that he could just get you out of the pit, but he's given you a crown with steadfast love and mercy. These are the gifts of God given to believers. This is not a theoretical set of verses. This is truth. He's crowned us. And then it says, number five, or verse 5, who satisfies you with good. I can admit to you this morning that there are, throughout my week, there are a lot of things that I'm searching for satisfaction in. Whether it's what people think of me or whether or not um, I can make certain people happy or whatever it is, all of us are seeking satisfaction in things that will not actually satisfy us. Just the statement, who satisfies you with good, is a miracle. Because we are not an easily satisfied people. Nothing else is able to satisfy, but, but God satisfies us with good and check this out, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle in this context, in this day, was a symbol of youth and vitality. So basically, if you, if you take verses 2 to 5, what you see is that he takes us from, from diseased in our sin to vi having vitality like that of an eagle. He satisfies us. And the application for this section is really easy. It's just to think about that. To think about what, what God has done, that he is the giver of all good things. What has God done in Christ? Well, he has forgiven us of all of our iniquity. He has healed us of all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies us with good. And when we seek our satisfaction in Christ, it never runs out. What grace, what power, what love. He's the giver of all good things, but number two, he is the Savior. Verse six, he's the Savior. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We kind of wonder, what exactly does David mean there? Who, who are the oppressed? Well, as we look into our world, we can see a lot of people who fit this category of Oppressed. There are people who are mistreated. There are people who are enslaved. There are people who are abused. And, and there, are, there are many categories of oppressed in our world today. 
But it says the Lord is the one who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And therefore, if it is the heart of God to work righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, then it ought to be the heart of the church. And we ought to care for the people who are oppressed, that we ought to fight for justice for people who are enslaved, that we ought to pray and give and go for people who are oppressed. But what we also see is something deeper in that there is an oppression that is worse than any other oppression, and it's the oppression of sin. That we fight for the oppressed, but also we see an ultimate oppression, which is bondage to sin. And I want, to, I want you to see what he says here in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. If you want to turn with me, hold your place in Psalm 103 and turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 is this, has this awesome statement in it from God to, uh, to Moses. And, and he says something to Moses that does not make a lot of sense if you look at it by itself. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It says, The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Did you catch that? So there's... God, who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he's keeping steadfast love, he's forgiving iniquity, he's forgiving transgression, he's forgiving sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Now I want you to see, remember that, hold that in your head, and I want you to see how David writes. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now that does not sound like he will by no means clear the guilty. Because if if God deals with me according to my sins, if he repays me according to my iniquities, I am guilty, and he must punish me. If he's just, then he must punish me. Well, I think it's awesome that Lawson preached on Exodus last week and that he reminded us that the New Testament is not just something that fell out of the sky completely separate from the Old Testament. And that the the Old Testament wasn't just some some book that lost all of its power when the New Testament came around. But, But rather, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story about the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ forever. And so what we see here is that that David, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing about something and about someone and about an event that in, in the mind of David had not happened yet. But in, in the eyes of eternity in God, he, he already knew and, and was aware of. 
How can a just, perfect, righteous God not deal with us according to our sins? Here's the answer. He can't. Unless he deals with somebody else according to our sins. And here's, here's the doctrine. How do, how do God's mercy that we see in Exodus 34 and, and his justice that we see in Exodus 34, how do those meet? How do those reconcile? How do we get those to work together? Because the reality is, is that Psalm 103 verse 10 is an injustice without Jesus. It's an injustice without Jesus. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. If you're watching that go down on TV, you're yelling because that's not right. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. The good news is this. Romans 3 tells us that Jesus was offered up as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice, as a, as a, a gift, an offering to God so that God could be both the just and the justifier. That God could be fair but also provide mercy. The only way that verse 10 works is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died, because he paid for our sin, because he rose from the dead to give us eternal life, because of those things, verse 10 is not an injustice. And the Psalms are not separated from Jesus. It's not like David wrote about the Psalms and then Jesus came around. It was, it was, this is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God is speaking through David about something that in, in our historical view of the world had not happened yet. And God has saved us. Not because of anything that we offer because he could have dealt with us according to our sins. That's just. That's right. That's fair. But he does not repay us according to our iniquities. And honestly, I could be done right now, and, and that would be plenty to think about for the next year. That God has not repaid us according to our iniquities. But because the price was paid by Jesus, we can have life. I want you to see these similes that he uses here in verse 11, 12, and 13. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I want you to see the height of of this love and of this mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Where does that boundary happen? We don't really know, right? And, and what is David saying? Well, David is saying you can't get there. David's not living in an age with airplanes or with rockets. Dave, David is saying you, you can't get there. You cannot get to the end of the height of his love for you. There is boundless mercy in Christ. That is good news because I sinned even today. Right? Maybe it was just me. Right? We, we, we need this boundless 
mercy. But not only that, in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You may know this verse because Casting Crowns made it really popular with a song. That there is, there is width. This width of our sins being taken away from us because the reality is this. Satan wants us to remember our sins and feel like they're very close to us. He wants to bring up who we were before Christ and say, that's who you are. How could God love you? He wants to bring up those things that we did and the the people who we were. But this is the miracle of the gospel that, that there is no distance that our sin could travel to get back to us. That he paid it in full and it's gone. It's taken away as far as the east is from the west. Not only that, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. If you know the story of the prodigal son, I mean, we, we, just, we see that in this verse, that God has compassion on his children, that he loves us. Spurgeon said, we do not adore a God of stone, but the living God, who is tenderness itself. We do not adore a God of stone, but the living God, who is tenderness itself. See the extravagance of compassion. That as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And then he says, verse 14, he knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. I want you to see two kind of principles in in this section that should guide us. Number one, we should see that the gospel is greater than we ever imagined. That the gospel is greater than we ever imagined. That, That this truth, that he does not deal with us according to our sins. I mean, to dwell on that, to take this afternoon and just sit there and think about the good news in that statement. To, to dwell on the fact that, that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But I want you to notice what the proper response to such a gospel is. So the gospel is greater than we could ever imagine. But I want you to see what he says over and over and over again. He says to those who fear him. See, God has saved us and made us new and given us so much and he is worthy he's worthy of our praise he's worthy of our adoration he's worthy of our obedience because of who he is and what he's done in the gospel he is worthy of our obedience and so we dwell on this gospel we dwell on God's patience with us, that he remembers, that he knows that we are dust. We dwell on the fact that he is kind to us, that he has treated us with more kindness than, than we could ever deserve. We dwell on those things, and we let those things lead us to obedience, to adoration. To, to be reminded of the sin debt that we had accrued to be reminded of the price that Jesus paid, that he took on our sin, that he went to the cross, that he, he drank the full cup of God's wrath 
for our sin. And then to be reminded of God's love. That he loves us, he's redeemed us from the pit, but that he loves us and his love is more extravagant than we can ever understand. But more importantly, that that love is not something that is conditional on how well our performance is. And, And we kind of, in our tribe, we kind of forget to say that sometimes. Because we, we do, we value obedience and we value following Jesus and, and, and doing what his word says. But we also know that there is nothing we can do to measure up. That, that there is nothing that we could do to where God says, all right, you've got it figured out. You're, you're good enough. And so rather we are serving God not in order to get his favor, but rather because we have been given his favor. And so we obey and we follow and we trust because of who he is. We dwell on this gospel. Number three, he is forever faithful. We bless, adore, bow to the Lord because he is forever faithful. Look at verse, verse 15. I want you to see this comparison in verses 15, 16, and 17. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its, and its place knows it no more. But notice the word that starts verse 17, uh, probably one of the best words in all the Bible, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. See, man, man's life is fleeting. It's short. It's a vapor. It's wind. It's it's something that happens and then is, is over, is gone. Man's life is, is short. It's like a piece of grass. And maybe this afternoon, one of you guys is going to go home and mow your yard. And that grass is going to be gone. Or maybe as you walk out the door today, you'll trip and brush your foot over a flower and it'll be gone. Life is short. Life is fleeting. The wind passes over a flower and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It has no beginning and it has no end. God is faithful to his people forever. He's faithful to his people forever. And as we respond to this gospel that God has given to us, we respond with obedience. But I want you to see he's faithful forever, but there's something connected to this in verse 19 where it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, I think this is interesting. Verse 19, the Lord has established. That is uh, an action verb. He did it. He established his throne in the heavens. There wasn't someone who installed him there. There wasn't someone who who handed him over that title. That is his title. He is ruler, Lord, king over all. So what does that mean for us? It means that the one who is Lord of all is the one who has steadfast love for us. That's good news. That the one who is Lord of all, who is who is the one who has the throne in the heavens, the kingdom who rules over all, is the one who has steadfast love for us. 
he established or he fixed his throne in the heavens. And yet, he offers us relationship with him. The one who has been from the beginning, the one who created us, the one who holds us together, the one who, in the end, as we studied two weeks ago, will be high and lifted up and will be praised by every single tongue and every knee will bow before him. That one is the one who does not repay us according to our iniquities. If you're, if you're breaking the law in Olive Branch, Mississippi, you are probably afraid of the police, right? You don't want to get caught breaking the law. Um, you're probably, you have a, a fear or a respect for the police. Well, if, if we're in a position of breaking God's law, and God is far holier, as we see in verse 1, bless his holy name, that he is far holier than anyone in government in the world, then we should probably, we would probably be more afraid of that. And yet, this God who is holier than anything else is a God who has provided us with steadfast love and mercy. Think about that. He's the one who has provided us with steadfast love and mercy, the one who has established his throne in the heavens and kingdom rules over all. That's the one whose steadfast love never runs out. So since our life is fleeting and there is a God who is king over all, who is ruler, then the the best option seems to, to give our lives to him. Jesus is Lord of all. That is our hope. That is our comfort. And we are obedient to that king. Not some some earthly king foremost. Not some uh, other idea. But we are first and foremost obedient to that king. Because why not? He's the king over all. Lastly this. He is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all worship. Verse 20. David... um, I kind of like to think of it in this way. David gets a little bit out of hand. You ever just get really excited about something and you just start just, just really talking about it? That you, you may have had one of those uh, experiences in your life. It, it, David here is so excited about who God is and about what God has done and about the truth of, 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 of God that, that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. David gets so excited about this. And I want you to think about David. This man, he's a lot more than Psalm 103. He's got plenty of sins that that should have been dealt with, that need to be dealt with. And he says this, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, your mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David is overwhelmed with how worthy God is of our adoration and our worship. He's overwhelmed. When he thinks about the gospel and he thinks about Jesus being king of all and he thinks about the the love of God that has never run out, he's overwhelmed and he says, 
God, you are worthy of all of my worship, all of my praise. Not only my worship and my praise, but every single thing you created. Verse 22, all his works and all his places of his dominion, which if you remember from verse 19, is everything. There's, there's nothing left out of that. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. As a kid, we learned the catechism, what is the chief end of man? And the answer was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Everything exists for God's glory. Every single thing that is in this world, past, present, future, exists for God's glory. And that God is the one who desires relationship with us. Everything, every single thing that's ever been created exists for the sole purpose of giving God glory. You and I exist for the purpose of giving God glory. And sometimes we need to step back and be reminded of the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. That there is, there is no measure of space that our sins could come back to us. That there is, there is no understanding of, of God's love running out. That there is no scenario in which Jesus is not Lord of all. There's a hymn, um, I'm not going to sing it, but I will say it. And it's a hymn that uh, at various times in my life has, has helped me to refocus and to, to see again what Christ has done for me. And, and the hymn is, O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. And it says, O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing, My Great Redeemer's Praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. To God, all glory, praise, and love be now and ever given by saints below and saints above, the church and earth and heaven. God is worthy. He's worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. He has been the one who breaks the power of canceled sin, who sets the prisoner free. He is that God. He is worthy of all of our glory, all of our praise, all of our adoration. And sometimes we just need to t step back and take a look and say, God, I've, I've lost my focus. I've, I've forgotten the cross that you bore for me. I've forgotten the weight of my sin that you took away. I have forgotten the gloriousness of your gospel that, that I have not been dealt with according to my sin. I've forgotten that life is not about me, but it's about you. So this morning, we have the chance, every single one of us, as we have heard God's word, we have the chance to respond. And so maybe for you, like for me, uh, you, you need to respond by, by making 
a time. Maybe you use Google Calendar and you need to set out a block in your schedule this week to just sit in silence and solitude with God's Word and remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. Or maybe for you this morning, you, you, you don't understand anything that I'm saying. And you're, you're saying, I, I want to, to be able to be dealt with, a, not according to my sins, but according to God's mercy. Maybe you need to repent, to turn away from your sin and trust in the saving blood of Jesus Christ that pays for our sin and his resurrection to give us new life. However it is that, that you can obey, you can respond, all of us are called to respond.